0: Turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 19. I'll be reading from the New International Version. The words will be on screen, though I invite you to open a device or a, a Pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. I'll read John 19, verses 1 through 22. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they clothed him in a purple robe. And they went up to him again and again, saying, Hail of the the king of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. And once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews who were gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. He was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said. Don't you realize that I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you, but from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. And from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar's. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. And finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. And carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. It was and there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. And Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we come to this scripture today, there's one important, really important point I want to make before we dive into things much more. And it has to do with the word, the Jews in this passage. The Jews in this passage are the religious leaders of Jerusalem. They're not the whole Jewish people, but part of them, the religious leaders, those in authority, the chief priests and their helpers who, who brought Jesus before Pilate. Sometimes this text, if you just read it and pass over it quickly, you see how that word changes throughout the passage, and John is using the word the Jews to generally mean specifically the, the chief priests of the people the reason I want to make that point is because, as we read it, this text too many times in history has been used to hurt Jewish people and has led to violence against them. And that could happen even in this place. We, we live in the, the state that has the, one of the highest numbers of, of anti-Semitic and um, white nationalist groups. So it's important to just state that from the outright before we dive further in. The other thing to notice in this passage is the, the idea of the image of the king Brought before the people. I've been in a lot of uh, countries around the world and in totalitarian countries, countries where one person holds all the power. The image of the king or the ruler is everywhere. You might see it in every home or every business or every government office or school. I've been in communist countries and so called democratic countries where this is the case. The the dear leader's portrait hangs above the hearth in the home. Or the members of the Politburo are all plastered around the top edge of the wall so they won't get dirty in the living room. Or Uncle Ho Chi Minh hangs on the wall behind uh, the, te- the, the, uh, the, the table. I've never been to Russia, but I imagine that Putin's picture hangs in a lot of places there. Maybe on street signs or billboards In the Dominican Republic, where I grew up, back in the 30s to 60s, there was this dictator called Trujillo, and he uh, mandated that his portrait be in every single home, in every school, in every business, in every government office. And in Roman times, the picture of the king was everywhere. Not not a photograph, not always a painting, but often a, a statue. The image of Caesar was common all around the empire. And the emperor wanted people to know who ruled over them. People were required to honor and respect and sometimes even worship this image of the king. They they paid taxes with coins that bore the emperor's image. In in a society without photographs, his image was everywhere. So when Pilate says, Look, behold, here is your king, he's showing them the image of their king, bloodied and bruised and beaten. He is mocking the Jewish leaders. But in truth... Jesus is the king. And some people have just welcomed him with their palms, with joy upon joy just a week before. And now their king stands before them in the flesh. And as we near the cross with Jesus, we need to look at Jesus' image. We need to look at Jesus and we need to reflect on why Jesus was condemned. It's this part of the Bible that we'd rather turn away from that we want to avert our eyes we want to skip over it it's it's so easy to go straight from palm sunday to easter sunday without stopping at the foot of the cross between why is jesus condemned well he's condemned because he is human because he is god and because he is king In this chapter, Jesus is given three different titles, three different names for him from other people. Uh, Here is the man. And then, here is the son of God. And finally, here is your king. And we need to look at Jesus, this Jesus who is fully human, fully God. We need to see Jesus as the son of God, the king of the world. And last week, we saw Jesus stand before Pilate Uh, And declare that he is the truth. That anyone who is on the side of the truth is with him. That he is the true king. That he is God's truth. Made flesh among them. And this week, that story before Pilate continues. And the story goes on back and forth inside and outside in various places. And inside it seems like Jesus is on trial. And outside it seems like the, the religious leaders and Pilate are facing off over who has the power over Jesus. So why is Jesus condemned? Well, first, Jesus is condemned because he is human. Let's set the scene. Jesus is probably in this inner courtyard of Pilate's uh, palace, of Herod's palace, this beautiful palace built for Herod that Pilate has now taken over as his praetorium. It's just across town from the temple, line of sight. You can see them sacrificing the, the, uh, the Passover lambs on the altar. And the chief priests and the religious leaders are down there below the judgment seat, down down a a six-foot wall, and Pilate sits above them in judgment. And and inside, uh, Jesus kneels or stands before Pilate, and they have this conversation. And Pilate has already declared that he can find no way, no reason, no basis for charging Jesus. There's nothing he's done wrong. Jesus is just some guy who's crossed the religious authorities of Jerusalem, They're out to get him for some reason that Pilate can't quite figure out. And even though Pilate can't charge Jesus with anything, he still doesn't treat him like a human being. Pilate orders his soldiers to rough up Jesus. They flog him, possibly with this iron-encrusted whip. And this is the, the third and harshest kind of flogging. Maybe they're trying to extract a confession from him. uh, But Jesus doesn't say a thing. There's nothing that he admits to that they can charge him with. So they put a royal robe on him, and they make a crown of thorns for him. They give him these royal honors, but they're really just mocking him. They beat his face, and they they call this ordinary country guy the, the king of the Jews. And then Pilate brings him out to show to the religious leaders. Pilate again says for the third time, I think, that there is no legal basis for charging him with a crime. He's done what he can. He's roughed him up a little bit. He's tried to get him to confess. Jesus is beaten and bruised and bloodied and he's wearing a crown of thorns and this purple robe and Pilate announces, look, here is the man. The bruised and bloodied image of Jesus stands right before them. And here, it might help us to take a step back, way back to the beginning. See, in the beginning, God made the world. God made the seas and the stars and the skies and the dry land, the the trees and the flowers and the birds and the fish, and God declares it good. But God wants to rule over his creation, so he leaves his image in the creation. He leaves an image of God in creation, and that image is humankind. Made in God's image, male and female, he created them given this job of caring for and ruling over the creation that God has made on God's behalf. And God declares creation then very good, and God rests. And at the beginning of the Gospel of John, we saw uh, the writer take up the story of creation again from a different perspective, with a new spin. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This word is how creation comes into being. Uh, And into this creation, made for bearing God's image, God sends his very self in the flesh to become human and dwell among us. And it's both the strangest and the least surprising thing that God has ever done. It makes perfect sense if you think like God does. Uh, And T. Wright says it's the sixth day of creation, only more so. God becomes human. And it makes very sense from the very beginning because the word is God's image, God's very self entering into creation. So when Pilate says, here is the man, he is saying more than he realizes. Here is the man, yes, made in God's image, yes, though Pilate doesn't probably believe that. But here is the man, the image of God, the very presence of God among them. And Pilate probably doesn't realize that either. Here is the one who is so fully human that the thorns of creation, fallen, uh, pierce his brow. Here is the one who suffers the effects of the fall of sin without becoming sin himself. He bears them as wounds on his head and his body. Pilate condemns Jesus because he is human. He is the man, the image of God, most fully revealed among humanity. And for that... He must die. Second, Pilate condemns Jesus because he is the Son of God. And as the the chief priests and the officials shout, Crucify him, crucify him, Pilate answers, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no reason to charge him. Pilate stands on his supposed legal ground. There's no reason to condemn this man. But the Jewish leaders insist. He, He claimed to be the Son of God. That's blasphemy. That is a sin. That is why he must die. And this, for some reason, makes Pilate suddenly afraid. Pilate wants nothing to do with this. Why didn't they say that before? Blasphemy is grounds for death, yes, but it is a religious crime, not a Roman legal crime. Pilate has no jurisdiction over this guy. Pilate wants nothing to do with him. If He's punished this man for breaking some obscure Jewish law, and now they want to crucify him too? That will surely get Pilate in trouble with the emperor. And that religious claim is terrifying to Pilate. This man is the son of God. It's terrifying because he knows that it will cause trouble among the Jews. He knows that it might lead to people following him like they did after he raised Lazarus from the dead. But he knows it is not a legal charge against Jesus. It's a religious matter. But Caesar has also called himself the Son of God, too. Caesar has claimed to be divine, and maybe this man who stands before him who claims to be the Son of God, maybe that's why Pilate is afraid. What's curious is that of all the charges put on Jesus, this is probably the truest one. Jesus has more or less claimed that he is the Son of God. He's called God his Father. He has said that his kingdom is from above He said that his power to raise Lazarus from the dead comes from his father. So this charge, son of God, is the first true accusation against Jesus. But even this one, Jesus won't admit to directly. He never says, I am the son of God. And when Pilate takes him inside to question him again, Jesus won't answer. Pilate presses him further. He, He claims to have the power of life and death over him because that is the power of the empire. This empire exists and all empires exist because they claim the power of death over people. Yes, an empire may make laws and mandates and codes. They might encourage and reward people to good behavior. But at the end of the day, the power of empire is the power of death. And Jesus threatens that. Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. What if people follow him? What if he leads an uprising? Jesus has said that he will rise from the dead on the third day. What can the empire do against one who has power over even death itself? The empire is powerless. Jesus' power over death destroys even death itself. His victory over the powers of death and evil and sin is complete. And Jesus replies, That Pilate's power is meaningless because it comes from above, from God. That means that Jesus must be more powerful than Pilate. And though he won't say it directly, Jesus is the Son of God. He is life, He is anti death. And for that, He must die. Now, Pilate makes one last try to set Jesus free, and that's when the Jewish leaders play their third and strongest card. They say, if you let this man go, then you are no friend of Caesar, for anyone who calls himself king opposes Caesar. And this third and final reason is why Jesus must die. Jesus is condemned because he is king. Now, he never calls himself the king of the Jews. That's what other people call him. That's what Pilate calls him. It's when the Jewish leaders uh, accuse him of doing, but he's never said it himself. It's the last piece of evidence in this trial. And Pilate realizes at this point that he's lost control over the whole situation. His own position in Judea as the governor depends on the emperor's whim. And his own position as governor depends on who the emperor uh, points to be there. And Pilate's own patron, this guy called Lucius Aelius Sejanus, had the title Friend of the Emperor. And even he, just a few years before, had been accused of sedition and executed for crimes against the empire. If Pilate wants to get anywhere in his imperial career, he's got to stay in the emperor's good graces. And if word of this gets back to the emperor, then he's done. He must show no mercy to anyone who calls himself king. That's his number one job there, to keep the rebellious Jews in place. And the irony is is that just a few years after this happens, Pilate himself will be recalled to Rome for being too harsh on the Jews. But Pilate brings Jesus back outside and he sits in his judgment seat, that seat looking down over the unruly crowd of Jewish leaders and chief priests and their followers. And Pilate says, here is your king. Here is your king. And Pilate says, but they shout, take him away, take him away, crucify him. And Pilate retorts, shall I crucify your king? And if they respond yes, then that will be grounds enough for him. Even if this man isn't a rebel, people think he is. And that is a big problem. But the chief priests answer with these words that are so blasphemous that it's shocking that they've even dared to accuse Jesus of the same crime. We have no king but Caesar, they say. They've just committed an even greater blasphemy. They have abandoned all their knowledge and love of the one true God as the king of the universe, and they've taken on this faraway distant Roman Caesar as their king. Did they forget about the Psalms and the prophets? Did they forget about the freedom story of Exodus and the Passover that they're about to celebrate? In their determination to get rid of Jesus, they accuse him of calling himself a king, yet they commit an even bigger blasphemy by taking on a different king, by rejecting God as their Lord and king. And it's all downhill from there. The soldiers take Jesus, and Jesus remains in control carrying his own cross to the place of the skull. And then then John says simply, they crucified him. They crucified him. And I I won't go into the details, but crucifixion is one of the worst ways that human beings have ever made up to kill another human being. And above Jesus' head, Pilate writes a sign that says, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This is the truest thing he's ever said. This very man who wonders what is the truth declares that this guy is the king of Israel. And when the Jewish leaders object, Pilate stands firm and he says, what I have written, I have written. As Jesus stands trial here, he is condemned for three reasons. He's condemned for being human. Here is the man. And he's condemned for being divine, the son of God. And he's condemned because he is king. Here is your king. And it might seem in this story like Jesus is the one on trial, but really it's everyone else all along who is on trial. Pilate who is on trial before Jesus and the religious leaders who are on trial before Pilate and all of humanity, including us, along with them. Do we recognize him as the Son of Man, the the truest, most human-made-in-God's-image person there's ever been, the Word of God made flesh and dwelling among us? Do we know Jesus, who is the Son of God, the one whose power and being is one with the Father and the Spirit? And do they recognize him as the true king of the universe? Pilate mocks him. Pilate questions him. Pilate uses him to get back at the religious leaders, and they, in turn, try to twist Jesus' words and try to show Pilate that even he must answer to the emperor. But they all stand judged, Before the one true and righteous judge, Jesus Christ, the word of God made flesh. And they all have failed. They all mock. They all lie. They all blaspheme God's name. And and so do we. And yet Jesus, the word made flesh and dwelling among them, is both God and man. He is the one true king. He uh, is God's image. God's, God made flesh and present among them. He is the presence of God among them because that's who God is and how God works. He is the most human human being there has ever been. And he is fully God, one with the Father and the Spirit, one God, triune and holy forever and ever. And Jesus dies at the end because he is God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh God, we come before you staring at Jesus' image, at Jesus, the crucified and beaten and bloodied one, the one condemned for being human, for being God, for being the true king. We bow before him. We stand on trial like all those who were with Jesus that day, as the ones who crucified him. And we know that though we are not perfect, by the blood of Jesus you make us perfect and right, to cleanse and wash and purify us, to be a people made holy for your kingdom. And as we gaze on Jesus, the true king, the one who is king because he is servant, because he dies, and because he rises again, we thank you for him. We thank you for his sacrifice and we remember. We remember his sacrifice as you call us to the table. We remember who he is and what he's done for us as we receive the bread and the cup, as we remember his body, bruised and bloodied and broken, and who he is, King, man, God. Oh Lord, open our eyes to see him, our ears to hear and our hearts to love him more and more. Through him, the saving one, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Jesus invites us to the table. All those who are baptized, professing members of a Christian church who call on Jesus as their Savior, are welcome to come and celebrate this feast. It's a feast, a memorial of